Our scripture reading tonight is from Isaiah chapter 49. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favour I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall, they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth, Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Behold, I will not yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. 
they all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me, make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come from? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift, I will lift up my hands to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your saviour and your redeemer, the mighty one. Of Jacob. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. Thank you so much for reading. I know that is a long chunk, but a beautiful one as well. So um, tomorrow lunchtime, I'm going to be speaking um, to students on the topic of where do you find value in a world that says uh, you don't matter? It's a question for students, but it really taps into something that we all wrestle with. Um, do I really matter? Am I important? Am I loved? These are human questions um, and human concerns. We long to be needed. We long to belong somewhere and to someone. And as we look at uh, this passage of scripture this evening, we're going to see the way that God moves his people and his world from um, a place uh, where they are outside to one where they are inside. From a place of desolation <coughs> and rejection to one of restoration and belonging. We're going to see how he does all of that through the work of his servant. One who is chosen by God, who is rejected by humanity, and then who is raised to a place of honour. And as we see all of this, I hope that we're going to grab on to two big and true things. Um, here are the headlines for us, um, and we're going to come back to them at the end. The first one is this. Because of this servant, we too are welcomed in. We are given a place of belonging. We are made part of a new family. And the second one is that though there is a big change in status for humanity, God has not changed. He is 
and always was the compassionate one who loves and cares for us and who does everything to rescue us. So um, we're in Isaiah 49. This part of Isaiah is one of my favourite passages in all of scripture. But the challenge of coming in um, on chapter 49 is that there are 48 chapters of stuff that we have to assume. Um, And maybe you know Isaiah really well, um, or maybe you've never read it before, or maybe it's been a while. Um, Whatever the case may be, I thought it would be good to begin with a little bit of a recap so that we all know where we are in Israel's history and in the history of this book. The unfolding story of the Bible is of God making and choosing Israel to be his nation and people. He gave them a name, uh, he gave them the law, he gave them a land, and he gave them promises that he would be their God and that they would be his people. He promised that he would bless them and that he would bless the whole world through them. But he also warned them that they were going to reject him and disobey him and that when they did, they would have to face the consequences of that sin. Following the years, uh, the kind of glory years of Israel's monarchy of David and then Solomon, the kingdom then splits into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and each kingdom drifts further and further away from the Lord and further and further into sin. There are some brief bright spots for both of them but by and large they wander far from God and his desire for them as a nation they are supposed to be his chosen people his treasure possession blessed by him and in turn a blessing to the nations around them but instead they turn away from him and start worshipping other gods they follow the nations away from God um, and as a consequence God gives them over to those nations Israel in the north and then Judah in the south fall to foreign superpowers. Their cities are laid to waste and the people are carried off into exile in Babylon. This is the situation that Isaiah is writing about. His prophecy is written before Judah is exiled, but it is written for the people once they're in exile with promises for what God is going to do to rescue and restore them. So that's where we are as chapter 49 begins. And in this chapter, there are three characters for us to meet. First, there is Zion. This is the nickname um, that God's people Israel are known by in this chapter. As I said, they have disobeyed God. and They've abandoned worship of him for worship of other gods. They've given up trusting in him um, and made alliances with foreign powers And they've given up following um, his laws to go their own way and to do their own thing. And as a consequence of that, they're now in exile um, in Babylon. They are ruled over by a foreign power. Their walls are torn down. Their cities are in ruins. They were once a great nation, but they've been scattered and torn apart and imprisoned. Second, there are the nations. These were made by God and they were always made to be drawn to know and worship him too. They are far away from him, geographically and spiritually, living without reference to him and worshipping false gods. And yet it has always been his desire that they too would come in and be his people. The nation of Israel was supposed to draw the nations in, but instead... Israel was drawn away by the nations. 
That's why Israel has, um, in this chapter, lost rights to that name and is going by Zion instead. And the name of Israel now belongs to our third character, the servant. He has been given that name in order that he can do what the first Israel failed to do. And as we work our way through this passage, we're going to spend most of our time with the servant. He is the star of the show. And it is through him that everything else is made possible. So we start at the beginning in verse one. We open with the voice of the servant, introducing himself to the world, to the distant nations and islands. Let's look at who he is. He is chosen. This servant is not an afterthought. Um, There is no plan B going on here. From before his birth, he was called and named by the Lord and given the job that he is going to do. In his kindness, the Lord gave his people a wonderful and privileged task to undertake. But he was not surprised by their failure. He didn't have to go back to the drawing board and rethink things. He made a plan before the very foundations of the world that he would send this servant to be the true and better Israel. This was the plan, and it was one that came with great power. So just look at how the servant describes himself. Uh, With a mouth like a sharpened sword, like a polished arrow. These are powerful and devastating images, aren't they? This servant is coming to do something significant and powerful. And for a people who are being oppressed and crushed in exile, that is a big comfort, isn't it? Those of us who have lived in places of unrest or danger or war will know that much more closely. There is great comfort in knowing that the one coming to help is doing so with power and might. These exiles are ruled over by a foreign king who has his own sword, but the servant is himself made into a weapon, made by the Lord Almighty. And when it comes to a contest between the two, Well, there is no contest. The servant is on the Lord's side and the Lord always wins. And yet the surprising thing about this weapon is that it is hidden. Uh, That's the second thing that we notice about this servant. Have a look at verse two and especially the second part of each phrase. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. God is sending his servant in all power and might, but it is power and might that is going to be disguised at first. He won't come at the head of an invading army. He won't come as the winner of a landslide election. He won't even come with the influence and power of vast wealth or a charismatic personality. When people first meet him, when they first see him, they are not going to realize who he really is. They're not going to understand the significance of who he really is or of what he has really come to do. (coughs) And that perhaps makes sense of the weird and seemingly contradictory final statement he makes about himself. Um, Look at verses three and four. In the middle, there is a statement of sorrow and what looks like defeat. The servant says, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. And yet before and afterwards, there is a note of triumph as he declares his faith in God to reward him. And as the Lord declares about him, 
You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. And it may have sounded like a contradiction to those people in exile, and it may sound like a contradiction to us, but because God's plans and purposes are bigger and better than ours, we're able to discover that there's actually no contradiction here at all. In fact, it's through the mystery of his hiddenness and disguised power that God is going to display his splendor. God is going to do something so wonderful that this servant, the one who is despised and abhorred by Zion and made into the servant of the rulers of the nations, is going to be raised into a place of honour. Those same people who despised and rejected and ruled over him will one day bow down in his presence. And they're going to do that in response to what God is going to have the servant do, namely rescue his people. The servant won't be using his power and might um, for power and might's sake. Rather, he's going to launch a rescue mission. It's a mission that will begin in Zion, but will extend to all the nations. The power and position that the Lord has given him means that, um, as is said in verse 6, to just save Israel and Jacob is much too small a task. God wants his salvation to reach to the ends of the earth, and he's going to use this servant to accomplish it. Up until this point in history, God had related particularly and uniquely to one group of people. But again, it was always his plan to extend that relationship beyond Israel uh, to the rest of the nations. And he's going to do that through the work of this servant. He's going to bring Israel back. And as he does so, he's opening the doors wide and welcoming the rest of the world in as well. That's the plan then. How does he accomplish it? What does the servant do? Well, he does three things. He opens prison doors, he builds new roads, and he makes a new family. He starts by launching this rescue mission, setting prisoners free from their captivity. God promises to fight for them, to rescue them out of the hands of their oppressors, to bring them out of darkness, and to set them free from prison. What a beautiful picture that is. The servant walking into the depths of darkness to take his people by the hand and lead them out into the light and freedom. Perhaps not many of us have been in prison, but we'll all have been in darkness before. (laughs) Uh, We know how frightening and disorientating and disabling that can be. True darkness closes in around us and locks us in. But the people here are literally locked in, unable to get away from the darkness. And then the servant comes to set them free, to switch on the lights and open the doors. But he doesn't just lead them out into the light and then leave them to their own devices. He doesn't rescue them and then abandon them. Rather, he builds new highways. Mountains are leveled. Valleys are raised up to make new roads. And they all lead straight back to God's presence and place. The servant keeps them fed and watered and safe on the way. And he leads and guides them so that they don't need to fear harm that might come to them. And they also don't need to fear any risk that they're going to wander away again. It won't be like it was before. This time when they return to him, it's going to be forever. 
And this time, it's also going to be so much bigger. The family is going to grow beyond all imagination. They're going to need more space to fit everyone in because God is bringing in people from other nations to be part of the family. Look at that, a way that that's described in verse 22. People who used to belong to another nation will become part of the family of Israel. They will be carried in by foreign kings and queens. They have come to be part of a new family. And that is us. That was our first headline, remember? We are part of that new family. Children carried in on the hips and in the arms to belong now to God's family and God's nation. For those of us who aren't Jewish, we are the Gentiles, the nations, those who were far away who have been brought close. We are the distant nations and islands. We were so far away, both geographically and spiritually, and yet the Lord has seen fit to bring us in too, to rescue us from the darkness of our prison, to lead us along the road he has built, and to welcome us into his family. And of course, the other big headline, God has not changed. This isn't a change of heart or a change of policy on his part. He didn't just decide one day to do a bit of restructuring or reimagining. He didn't look around and notice the other nations and think, oh, perhaps I should get them involved as well. No, the Lord Almighty doesn't change his mind like we do. He is unchanged and unchanging. This was always his plan. He is the comforter. He is the compassionate one. He has care for us greater than even a breastfeeding mother, where she might maybe possibly perhaps one day forget her child. The Lord will never forget his children. He will not forget his children from his first family, and he will not forget his children from this bigger family that he has made. Each of our names are engraved on his hands. He will not forget us because he knows us and loves us. And isn't that such good news? In a world where we often feel lonely and forgotten and outside, it is deep comfort and great joy to know that, in fact, the Lord has gone to great lengths to rescue each one of us from prison and to bring us into his presence and his family. Um, Presumably, it's no surprise um, to you who the servant really is. If we've been hanging out at church for any length of time, then we'll be able to make a good guess. But if you're new to church this evening or recently, then allow me to make the connection for you. The servant spoken of in this passage, the one who was called before his birth, the one with a double-edged sword for his mouth, the one whose power is hidden away for a short time, the one who is despised and rejected by people, but loved and honoured by God, the one who contends for the captives, the one who leads people out of darkness, the one who builds highways through mountains, the one who guides his people home, the one who welcomes in new sons and daughters from the ends of the earth, that one is the Lord Jesus. And he did all of that by going to the cross for us, by dying to rescue and reconcile us to himself. He went to great lengths for our sake and for his glory. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
One day, kings will stand up and princes will bow down. One day, the heavens will shout for joy, the earth will rejoice, and the mountains will burst into song. And in the meantime, we are called to worship him and to keep inviting people to come and meet him for themselves, to see the rescue that he offers and the life that he promises. That's our hope this week. We long that students will take Jesus by the hand and let him lead them out of darkness. Please, will you pray for that to happen? But let's pray for ourselves too. Let us rejoice in gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. And let's pray that he'll use us to draw more people to him so that our family might keep growing. The Lord we know and worship is kind, compassionate and powerful. He has not and will not change. He knows and loves you. The Lord we know and worship has sent his son to face death and come out the other side in order that he might rescue you from darkness and welcome you into his family. Let's praise and worship him now. We're gonna do that, I think, by singing. So let's do that.